Chapter 5 of A Book of English Martyrs. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. A Book of English Martyrs by E. M. Wilmot Buxton. Chapter 5 The Northern Rising and Its Effects, 1568 through 1572. Throughout his life he was beyond measure dear to the whole people. From Sanders' Martyrdom of Blessed Thomas Percy. The first ten years of the reign of Elizabeth, 1558 through 1568, were not a time of persecution. Penal laws had been made, but were not strictly enforced, and the earlier imprisonment of Blessed John Story was due rather to his outspoken criticism of the acts of supremacy and uniformity than to the fact that he was a catholic all the bishops it is true save one had refused to take the oath of supremacy and had been thrown into prison but when the more advanced reformers urged the queen's advisers to kill the caged wolves the latter wisely held their hands in the year fifteen seventy however the fire of persecution shot up anew and four martyrs including blessed john story perished the reasons for this change of spirit are interesting the ambition of queen elizabeth had at first been to win popularity in all quarters from catholic and protestant alike herself devoid of any kind of religious conviction she fondly imagined that her choice of a via media as the policy of the english church combining protestant doctrines with a certain amount of catholic order and ceremonial would satisfy all parties and as wise Catholics were content to suppress their opinions and to offer no open opposition to her supremacy, they were allowed to stay away from the Protestant service held in their parish churches, with only an occasional fine as a reminder of their position, and even to hear Mass whenever they could smuggle a priest quietly into their houses for the purpose was not a dangerous matter. With this state of sufferance, therefore catholics were obliged to be content until the year fifteen sixty eight when the flight of mary queen of scots into england kindled almost forgotten hopes and the flame of religious zeal burned up anew for mary though a prisoner in her cousin's hands was a catholic and next heir to the throne and it was impossible but that even those most loyal to elizabeth should look forward to the day when she should rule in england the affairs of the country however were in the hands of william cecil one of the most astute politicians who ever lived and he knowing well that the one strong bond between catholics and protestants was their common hatred of himself determined to separate their forces by a far severer administration of the penal laws where catholics were concerned these fell with special weight upon the north country which partly because of its isolation had never fallen away in any marked degree from the faith the people it is true had been forced to look on while their beautiful cathedrals of york ripon durham and carlisle had been stripped of their crucifixes and their altars while the care of their souls had been committed to strange bishops and ministers who read in the place of the ancient liturgy an unfamiliar service which they were fined if they did not attend but the faith lived on the new bishop of carlisle complained bitterly of the great prevalence of popery in his diocese 
the earl of sussex the queen's general in the north wrote frankly to cecil there are not ten gentlemen in all this country that favor the queen's proceedings in religion hence it was that in the year fifteen sixty nine the eyes of catholics in the north began to turn hopefully towards thomas percy earl of northumberland who with the earl of westmoreland was the leading catholic nobleman of the district as a child of nine years old thomas percy had listened awestruck to the news of his father's death on tyburn tree for that he did as a false traitor conspire to deprive the king of his royal dignity viz of being on earth supreme head of the church of england under st cuthbert's banner that brave father had led one army of the pilgrimage of grace and when he died for his faith he left a legacy of religious zeal to his young son that was to develop into the martyr's crown after a forlorn childhood percy came into his own again during the reign of mary when he was created earl of northumberland and warden of the marches this office kept him busy with border warfare and afforded an excuse to the council for his not being summoned to attend the parliament of elizabeth which passed the acts of supremacy and uniformity suspicion and distrust began to surround the earl almost from the first for the agents of cecil had been already tampering with his younger brother henry and they were well aware of the horror with which thomas percy regarded the latter's apostasy from the faith finding his position as warden untenable under such conditions the earl resigned it and went to live for a time at petworth his estate in sussex it is possible that during these years he escaped persecution by conforming as did countless other catholics of that time to the rule of attending his parish church and that this was what he refers to when he declared at the time of his trial that he had been reconciled to the church some two years before the rebellion that he did not apostatize is clear from the fact that he spoke boldly in the parliament of fifteen sixty three against the act imposing the oath of supremacy on all catholics on the penalty of death saying that the heretic should be satisfied to enjoy the bishoprics and benefits of the others without wishing to cut off their heads as well and again in fifteen sixty six against the hasty act brought in to declare the defective consecration of the protestant bishops good lawful and perfect three years later percy was staying at topcliffe his yorkshire estate when he heard of the arrival of a certain dr nicholas wharton this man once prebendary of york minster was now acting by the pope's orders as apostolic penitentiary in order to grant faculties to those priests yet in the country who were anxious to administer the sacraments to catholics dr morton had been staying at the house of his relative mr richard norton an old catholic gentleman who with his son francis was seething with wrath against the treatment of his fellow catholics at the hands of cecil when percy knew of this he sent for mr morton and spoke to him very strongly of the great grief he had for that they all lived out of the laws of the catholic church for the restitution of which he would willingly spend his life then francis norton joined the conference the possibility of securing the freedom of mary of scotland as the next heir to the throne was discussed preparations for a general rising among the catholics of the north was set on foot and all through that autumn the catholic gentry met first in one place then in another 
to frame their plans curiously enough the earl of northumberland was the last to give his consent to a general revolt it was indeed torn between his loyalty to his sovereign and his devotion to the church and nothing but his belief that only by setting free the person of mary could they hope to secure religious liberty prevailed on him to join it that he had not the faintest intention of personal harm or even of disloyalty to elizabeth is clear from a letter written to her the day before the rebellion broke out and that his one object was the safeguarding of the faith is equally clear from his reply to one who urged that they should give some other cause for the revolt than the catholic religion i neither know of nor acknowledge any other said the earl for we are seeking i imagine the glory not of men but of god the actual rising was precipitated by a sudden summons to the earls of northumberland and westmoreland to appear before the queen at once they gathered their men and marched on durham where amid the joyful shouts of the people they went to the cathedral cast out the communion table and protestant service books and publicly restored the altar and the mass they stayed but one hour but that was long enough to bring back the ancient faith lost for eleven years to the city of st cuthbert the protestant canons and ministers fled and once more the cathedral and the churches of the city were to be seen filled with penitents who knelt in thousands at the feet of four zealous priests to receive absolution for the falling away of those dark years of schism the investigations during the trials that followed reveal a moving picture of the relief of the people at this return to the ancient faith of the scruples of the singing men who had not yet had time to be reconciled as to whether they might sing the mass and of the reassurance of the priest of their joy at being allowed to occupy their gaudies that is to tell their beads again and to receive once more holy water into their houses as well as in the church we hear also of the thronged high mass at the cathedral on st andrew's day when the crowd was so great that some could not see the mass and so sat down in the low end and said their prayers meanwhile the two earls were moving southward to mary's prison at tutbury under a standard representing our lord with blood streaming from his five wounds which was held by gray-haired old mr richard norton with them marched their chaplain thomas plumtree and a great force all of whom wear red crosses as well the priests as others through Stainedrop and darlington and ripon they passed staying only to see the holy mass once more celebrated in each of these places and having captured a body of horse at tadcaster and camped on clifford moor a vigorous assault on york would probably have left the north country in their hands but supplies and money were falling short and the leaders could not agree upon their plans turning north again they began to besiege bernard castle but disquieting rumours reached them from durham earl percy returned thither with father plumtree to guard the city so he was present on that wonderful occasion when on the second sunday in advent before high mass the whole of the vast congregation was absolved from the sins of heresy committed during the previous eleven years this was their last scene of triumph westmoreland would have fought to the last regardless of the hopelessness of their cause the gentle northumberland always unwilling to resist his queen hesitated to place so many brave fellows in peril of their lives and so in the middle of december they dismissed their followers and fled to scotland 
from whence westmoreland the nortons and others escaped to the continent a dreadful vengeance was exacted from the north by cecil in the country of durham alone says the historian lingard more than three hundred individuals suffered death nor was there between newcastle and weatherby a district of sixty miles in length and forty in breadth a town or village in which some of the inhabitants did not expire on the gibbet the hand of the avenger fell heaviest on durham as might have been expected one of the first to suffer was the priest thomas plumtree on the fourth of january fifteen seventy he was taken from durham castle to the market-place where on his arriving at the place of execution his life was offered to him if he would but renounce the catholic faith and embrace the heresy to which he made answer that he had no desire so to continue living in the world as meantime to die to god wherefore having fearlessly confessed his faith by by god's grace he suffered death in this world that he might merit to receive from christ eternal life meantime the earl of northumberland and his brave wife who had been at his side ever since the rising began had taken refuge in the cottage of a border outlaw of littisdale named john o the side driven thence by suspicion of disloyalty among the littlesdale men who went in fear of murray the scottish regent the earl fled to the protection of the armstrong clan one of whom he had befriended when a fugitive in england they appeared to receive him kindly but a plot had already been made with the regent and hector armstrong had volunteered to be the one to betray his former benefactor he persuaded the earl to meet an envoy from murray for a friendly conference and while they talked arranged that a troop of horsemen should surround them and carry off the former to haywick as the regent's prisoner when she heard this elizabeth insisted on his being handed over to her though warned that most of the nobility of scotland thought it a great reproach to the country to deliver any banished man to the slaughter while the matter was under discussion and the queen was hesitating to pay the large ransom asked the noble prisoner was left to a heart-breaking imprisonment in the lonely castle of lochleven there he remained for two and a half years in great anxiety as to the safety of his wife and his four little girls and harassed by his keeper the laird of lochleven who was continually urging him to give up his faith on condition of release then in fifteen seventy two came a gleam of hope his gallant wife had been moving heaven and earth to raise a large sum of money for his ransom from the scots with great difficulty thanks to a timely promise of four thousand crowns from pope pius v this had now been done and both she and the friends of percy were able to write congratulating him on his immediate release and arranging for his safe passage to the continent directly this was made known to elizabeth through her spies she hastened to make a disgraceful bargain with the regent for a sum of two thousand pounds as this outbid the money offered by the countess the earl was handed over to lord hunston by the cold-blooded laird who actually tried to persuade him that he was going to be set free and allowed to depart from the country in peace you have got your money but you have sold your faith and honour declared hunsdon as he paid the ransom to the scottish laird and seems in his pity for a prisoner who had the pluck to discuss hawks and hounds with him though very sorrowful and fearing for his life 
to have raised hopes of her majesty's mercy in the earl's breast these however were soon crushed by the order to take him to york for execution which hunston bluntly refused to do he conducted him however to his own feudal castle at aldenworth not without anxiety for the way led through the land of a people who knew no other prince but a percy and from thence sir john forster to whom the castle had been given conveyed him to york here once again he was offered his life if he would but give up his faith and once more firmly refused his modest firmness is commented on even by his gayholder forster who announced to him that he would be executed on the following day and yet the heart of this man still in the prime of life at forty-four must have been full of desire to live probably he had been allowed to see his four little daughters as he passed through topcliffe on his journey to york probably they had clung round his neck and begged him to come back to them and to bring their mother home once more the familiar scenes the friendly faces of the northumbrian yeomen and shepherds the sweet august sunshine all must have stirred in him an intense wish to return to the old normal happy life that seemed now like a dream the alternative was the scaffold the block the disgrace of a traitor's death and yet he never wavered but after a night of prayer went forth to the place of execution with a cheerful and glad countenance on the scaffold he spoke some plain words no he said to the listening crowd that from my earliest years down to this present day i have held the faith of that church which throughout the whole christian world is knit and bound together and that in the same faith i am about to end this unhappy life but as for this new church of england i do not acknowledge it at these words the protestant minister palmer who had been sent to harass him the previous night called out i see that you are dying an obstinate papist a member not of the catholic but of the roman church to which the earl made dignified answer that which you call the roman church is the catholic church which has been founded on the teaching of the apostles jesus christ himself being its cornerstone strengthened by the blood of martyrs honored by the recognition of the holy fathers and it continues always the same being the church against which as christ our saviour said the gates of hell shall not prevail then says sander after kissing a cross which he traced upon the ladder of the scaffold with his arms so folded on his breast as to form a cross he stretched himself upon the block and as soon as he had once said lord receive my soul the executioner struck off his head at that same instant a great groan which sounded like a roll of thunder burst from the weeping spectators as with one voice they called on god to receive his soul unto eternal rest so died blessed thomas percy one who throughout his life was beyond measure dear to the whole people at three o'clock on friday august twenty second fifteen seventy two end of chapter five